0: Hello, welcome back. I am Charles Musgrove, host of Answers That Count podcast. We have a great show lined up for you today. You want to make sure to stay tuned. We're going to talk about claims that the vulnerable have. So people do all kinds of things to the vulnerable society out there. So we have Dean LaBeouf with the Brooks LaBeouf Law Firm joining us today. Dean, welcome to the show. Hi, Charles. This is going to be a great show. This is, you know, we this is stuff that we read about in the newspaper. It, it, it is... Uh, really top of the mind where people that are in nursing homes, that are in the uh assisted living facilities where they they really suffer uh in at the hands of those that are supposed to be taking taking care of them. So there's there's cases that are brought against those people that that harm the vulnerable. So there's a lot of case law out there, there's new law that really protects the vulnerable. Let's de- let's delve into that today.
1: Sure, I'd love to, Charles. You know, I I have to tip my hat to the Florida legislature, and I don't do that all the time. Yeah,
0: that's unusual.
1: (laughs) But um, here they really got it right. They recognize that vulnerable members of our society need protection, and they need the right to have an equal footing when it comes to claims. So when we're talking about vulnerable adults, there's actually a statute that defines them. And it can be elderly people who have the infirmities of aging, or people who suffer from a physical or a mental incapacity. And this law is designed to specifically protect them.
0: You know, one thing that, that um, when I was looking over this that that really stuck out to me that I didn't think of before is a lot of the people that are in these facilities, they may they may be on their own. They've lost their spouse. They may not have children. And so if they pass away at the hands of those facility, who's going to come to their defense? Who's going to, who's going to look for a, a remedy for that and, and make those people that are responsible held accountable?
1: Well, you know, that's exactly the point because the law is generally very specific. So this is another topic, but there's something that's frequently called the free kill bill. When we're talking about medical malpractice, If an individual is retired Mm -hmm. and is not married and they die as a result of medical malpractice, there's really no claim because there's no beneficiary to bring the claim for them. No spouse. And if they don't have any children under 25 and they don't have any lost wages because they're retired, there's really no claim. Well, the legislature hasn't fixed that yet, but in the context of vulnerable adults, they did pass this special laws in chapter 415 and it's 415.1111. It creates a special cause of action for vulnerable adults above and beyond any other claim they may have.
0: You know, that is so interesting. And this is the the law we're talking about is specific to Florida. Uh, But are you seeing that in other states as well? Well,
1: I think Florida's is the strongest
0: that we've seen. I think there are some states that have some
1: statutes that merit, but you know, let's be honest. We have more elderly citizens in right. Florida than we do in a lot of other states.
0: Yeah, and like in so many other areas, Florida tends to be a leader. So maybe they're a leader in this area as well. Well, we certainly think so. Yeah. It you know, one thing that, that uh you brought up is when you when a lot of times what is what makes up a big part of that claim or the restitution is lost wages. So if it's a if it's an elder person and then they're not working, then there's there's really not a big judgment that, that could be there, at least before this legislation. Correct, and if you consider that
1: frequently lawyers are bringing claims for injured people based on a percentage of the recovery, well, that can usually be a big part of the recovery, but it's not just the elderly imagine people with disabilities
0: right right. um
1: you know they're not able to work but they still have a lot of joy and happiness in their life and they can be seriously abused as we've seen you know i frequently refer to uh something that i stole and have changed a little bit from mahatma gandhi and the saying goes something like this the true measure of a great society is the way it treats its most vulnerable members right and I just think that's absolutely that is, that's true. That's so true.
0: And you never think about that in, in, until you, well, you think about it a lot, but especially in these positions, because that could be our parents. That could be a loved one that, that we have that is, they're vulnerable. I mean, that's, there's no other way to say that. Or it
1: can be a child who becomes absolutely. an adult. You know, my law partner's got a profoundly disabled daughter. And I've got to tell you, I've never seen parents love a child more than they love their daughter. Right. And she has profound disabilities. She's never going to be able to work. She's never going to be able to live alone. But she's such a fundamental part of their family. She loves them and they love her. The idea of someone in a day school or a group home abusing her or neglecting her or exploiting her
0: is unforgivable. It is. It is. What, is, what do you see, what's a typical case or situation that, that you become involved in? How do you, if there's, if there's not a spouse to bring that to, the, to, to your firm, who brings that action? Usually it's a family member. It might be a brother.
1: It might be a sister. It might be a parent. Um, because remember, the vulnerable adult doesn't have to die. They only have to be abused, neglected, or exploited. So abuse can be a lot of different things. We have a claim now involving a young man who uh, was in a group home. He's profoundly disabled, and his caregiver was arrested and prosecuted for flipping him out of his wheelchair. Wow, wow. Um, We've got situations where residents have had broken bones as a result of abuse by caregivers. Um, We have situations where they violate the individual care plans for these citizens, and feed them things that are not supposed to be fed, and they've actually choked to death. Mm. So there's a wide range of subjects, there's a wide ranges of abuse or neglect that can apply in these
0: situations. What, what is the typical, I know, I know you always hear about bed sores, and is that, maybe we've been indoctrinated that by the industry that we're to think bed sores are a thing that should happen to those that are that are in nursing homes or assisted living facilities is that is that reality or is that just myth that because of the indoctrination
1: well certainly some people are more predisposed to bed sores than others so if you have poor circulation if you have diabetes if you're elderly you're going to be more susceptible to and the uh, medical term is decubitus ulcers Uh, But in common language, we call them bed sores. It's a situation where as a result of pressure and the lack of nutrition and lack of hydration, the skin, because of the pressure, bones push through the skin Mm. and ultimately the skin opens up. And as they progress, they go in stages from one to two to three to four. And in four, we've seen these skin breakdowns the size of a volleyball where you can actually see into the wound and see the bones. It's horrible.
0: That is horrible. So is that, is the bed sores, is that the most common visible signs that there's been abuse of the vulnerable? Well, it depends on the context. Uh, Certainly
1: someone who's bed bound or wheelchair bound, uh, who isn't being properly turned properly uh, given nutrition or hydration that would certainly be a clear indication that they were being neglected that their skin was being neglected and allowed this horrible horrible condition to develop which shouldn't develop with proper care
0: yeah what what should the the loved one if if they're looking for signs and they're checking in with the vul- with their vulnerable loved one what what are signs that they should look for and at what point do they say something's not right what do they what should they do then
1: well you know before anyone goes to any type of a facility whether it's a nursing home or an assisted living facility or a group home uh one of the things we talk about is looking for the three s's smells if it smells bad that's pretty good indication you you probably don't want to go there yeah smiles if the staff and the residents seem happy And um, I'm trying to remember what the third one is. (laughs) Staffing. Staffing. Um, You know, if it looks like there's adequate staffing around so that people aren't being neglected. I've been in nursing homes where I've heard people calling out for help and nobody's responding. And, you know, we have plenty of cases where there are call bells and we find out and get the data that call bells go for 30 minutes to an hour without being responded to.
0: That's a problem. That is a problem. Is it typical that that you get involved before there's before the vulnerable passes or after you know both
1: um you know there are a lot of times where there are injuries that are compensable as i told you with a young man who was thrown out of his wheelchair Mm -hmm. who also uh, on a separate incident received a broken bone we were contacted by the guardians for that young man and um we brought a claim for him and fortunately he's survived his injuries uh but we have other situations where um we're not so fortunate and a resident uh who was on a soft tissue diet may have been fed the wrong thing and choked to death Mm. uh these are all heavily defended cases and you know very frequently the, the facilities search for opportunities to blame someone else or to just say things happen right uh and ignore their accountability and responsibility. And that's our job Yeah, is to hold them accountable.
0: Yes. Yeah, you, you pointed to who you're going to hold responsible. And I've often wondered that too. And you hear stories about, I won't call it shell games, but there can be multiple entities involved. If you have the, the facility, either a nursing home or assisted living facility, does the money stay there? And when you bring an action against somebody is you probably have a management company, somebody that owns a real estate, the nursing home or assisted living. So you may have multiple entities, so how do how do you get restitution for the for the person injured? It's not easy. But you're exactly right.
1: That is a situation we face very, very, very frequently. Sometimes uh the number of limited liability corporations that are involved is almost comical. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we actually very frequently will create um organizational charts where we show the mothership and how the mothership has all of these uh, limited liability corporations that it spawns uh, as part of its attempt to avoid accountability. And, you know, that can be a very, very powerful exhibit. But getting to the mothership isn't always easy because, once again, we're always uh, limited by the legal remedies that are available. And these are sophisticated, large companies who hire very, very good lawyers to help them try and insulate themselves from account from accountability and responsibility, yeah. Because
0: most states allow corporations to be set up to to shield the owners of that, so you can't pierce the corporate veil and go to the right. personal the personal owners of that. So I'm, I'm sure that that is is difficult. Does where does insurance come into play with that? Because a lot of times the 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 payment is probably going to come from some insurance coverage that's in place as well.
1: Well, you know. That's also not as easy to answer as you might assume. Uh, Sometimes there's adequate insurance and there's just a policy and, you know, the insurance company will provide the defense to the company. And uh, if there is a viable claim and, and it is resolved through either a trial or arbitration or settlement, they pay. Sometimes the alleged policies are not real. Um, where there may technically be a policy, but it's really a sham Mm. and uh, very frequently now we're settling cases with large corporations, basically ignoring their claim of insurance or limited insurance and saying, well, guess what? We're going to go ahead and go to trial and we'll get a judgment and we'll just start bringing an action against your assets. Um, And usually that gets their attention and we start working out um, whether it's payments or something else to resolve the claim. Uh, But then we face sometimes those problems with limited liability corporations where they may respond, look, the only limited liability corporation responsible for this situation is LLC, Roman numeral 22. And there's no
0: assets And (laughs)
1: there's no assets, so you can go ahead and get a judgment against them they'll just declare bankruptcy and you'll never collect anything.
0: Yeah, interesting. I would, you know, we're we're talking about something about corporations and big companies and but it's re- this is really a personal become it's very personal. The people that that have been injured, this is very personal to them. This is not a just this is not a business loss to them. This is someone that they cared about. So it's it's so important for their representatives, you in this case. To really be a human in that process.
1: Well, that's exactly true. But, you know, it's not just personal to them, it's personal to all of us.
0: Yeah. That's and that's true.
1: why I cite Mahatma Gandhi. You know, who are we? What do we stand for? And if we as a society won't stand up to large companies and corporations and hold them accountable when they abuse, neglect, or exploit our most vulnerable citizens, Right. Who are we as Who a country? Are we?
0: That is so true.
1: And you know it. It is really, really important. I'm. I'm really proud of my law partner because he's been involved in the nursing home claim business for a long time, and I believe that as a result of actions he's taken and work that he's done, nursing home care is a lot better today than it was 25 years ago. And I think that by holding them accountable those changes came about. Um, You know, when I first started, the idea was that claims involving elderly individuals really didn't have any value because they may not have a spouse and they don't have jobs. And we were told that bed sores just happen and that was a normal part of aging. And it was only after we got involved in the science and really started looking at the care that we realized, no, you may be inclined to being more susceptible to a bed sore, but there are ways to prevent them. There are ways to keep them from developing. And I'm really proud of that work. And I'm really proud of the fact that especially in nursing homes, we're seeing better care than we saw 30 years ago.
0: Yeah, I think that, <clears throat> that's very commendable. What is the give us some idea of the the duration of the process for the litigation from when somebody knocks on your door, when you're made aware that there's a potential situation. How long before there's, there's a resolution?
1: Oh, my. Uh, <laughs> you know, it depends on so many factors. It depends on how strong the evidence is and the information is. It depends on how soon we're notified. Obviously, the sooner we get involved, the more we can capture evidence and get information. Um, and, you know, if it's a strong case and we have the evidence accumulated early and we can identify an insurance policy, sometimes we've resolved cases in just a couple of months. Sometimes when it turns into a real battle, I've had cases that have gone on over 10 years wow. by the time going to trial and then appeal, and we've been up in the Supreme Court before, and then there may be a new trial. Uh, that's rare, okay? Normally, we're looking at one to two years, uh, but as I said, if we get retained early, if it's a serious claim, if there's insurance in and a way that we can resolve the claim, sometimes we can do that in a few months, but... There's a lot of different variables. One of the things going on now is a lot of residential facilities, um, and even in corporate contracts, we're seeing provisions for arbitration hmm. as an alternative to... I would think that helps. Well, that's what <clears throat> they say. <laughs> but in reality, in the cases that we've been involved in, the arbitration process has been more expensive. Because instead of one judge, there's usually a three-judge panel who all want to be paid. Mm -hmm. And even though the contract may provide for expedited discovery and expedited resolution, we're finding that it takes as much time as our circuit court cases. Wow. Not good. So, you know, I I would agree. I will say, though, however, with COVID um, and the opportunity to resolve these matters by Zoom, we were able to continue to move forward the cases that are in arbitration uh, quicker than we have been with the court system since the courts historically have been closed. Uh, well, they're opening now, but uh,
0: there you've heard it, a, a, good, a positive out of Zoom. Right. So, you know, that's funny you said that on uh, some of the legal proceedings. I've, I've heard other other attorneys talk about arbitration and mediation that has really been more efficient through COVID and doing the Zoom calls rather than in person.
1: Well, you know, it's especially more efficient for younger individuals who are very comfortable with that medium. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm proud of the fact that I no longer email with all capitals. Uh,
0: <laughs> you took the all caps off. <laughs>
1: but the, um, you know, with Zoom, the, there's now the ability to bring in witnesses from all around the country, probably the world. And you can actually display exhibits on the Zoom screen. Interesting. I still don't know how to do that, but I have people in my office who do. As
0: <laughs> long as you can get that done. Right. Well, that is um are are we do we look, are we looking at any legislative changes that's even going to enhance that process more to help the vulnerable more in the future?
1: Well, you know, I think that the statute we have right now in my opinion is probably one of the best in the country. It's interesting that when the bill was passed Assisted living facilities and nursing homes are exempted from the statute. Wow. Um, I personally believe that probably had a lot to do with lobbying. Yeah. Um, But it's still an effective tool in the other arenas that it works in. There are statutes that specifically deal with um, nursing home claims and assisted living claims, but they're not nearly as favorable as this bill for vulnerable adults.
0: Interesting. So this is kind of uh, a little bit off topic, but I'm going to bring it I want to relate it to it. So, you know, in the economy, we're seeing uh, talk of inflation and and we actually see inflation happening now. So that that also affects those that are on fixed income, therefore those that are the vulnerable population as well and those that are in the, the uh, assisted living facilities. So what that's going to end up doing is either bringing more cost pressure on those that are in the home or the facilities that are running them. So, you know, as inflation happens that's gonna bring more pressure to the system. And you really have to be aware of of those situations where the facilities may be trying to retain their profitability through how they treat their the people that are in the facility.
1: Well, you know, isn't that always the challenge with any business? Um, every business run properly should run at a profit or they're going to go out of business, that's right? That's right, that's right. And all businesses have Susceptibility to liability, depending on what type of activity they're engaged in. And certainly the more dangerous the activity, the more the activity may cause injury or death to others, the higher risk associated with that business. And therefore, they need to take additional safeguards. And we see that there are additional costs associated with that. Right. But there are plenty of senior living facilities, nursing homes, and assisted living facilities that are making plenty of money. And if you don't believe that, drive around and look at how some of these facilities are built and what they look like. Uh, They can and are very, very profitable if run properly. And guess what? A lot of those facilities don't have many claims because they're properly staffing their facilities with competent staff who actually care about the residents. Talking about COVID, we saw that very, very extensively um, because the really good facilities had good infectious disease control systems put in place right away, and we hardly saw any COVID claims there at all. Whereas some of the other homes, we are familiar with a facility where they were dealing with disabled adults, individuals, you know, who really couldn't take care of themselves. And they adopted a policy of not allowing masks. Mm. And they had one of the largest outbreaks. Not
0: allowing masks.
1: Not allowing masks because they said, oh, it will scare the residents. Wow. And they had one of the highest percentage breakouts of infections and deaths that I'm aware of
0: mm, And that was in Florida. Yeah. Wow. Well, that is, um, Dean, you put that so well that that businesses that are run properly, that dedicate the resources to running the business properly and taking care of those people that are that are inside the business that they're intended to take care of, that they that they're fine, right. that they provide the correct care even in difficult situations like we saw with COVID. And those that aren't, those those are the, the institutions that really take advantage of the people that are in the institution.
1: Right, because they're more interested in profits in, in money. than they are
0: in people. Right, very well said. Well, I want to thank you for what you do for looking out for and protecting the vulnerable. That is, um, that it, you you put that so well, and that's such an important part of our society. And if we don't take care of the vulnerable, then then what does that say about us as a society? And your firm is doing great work in that. And I will say you're not a huge firm, and it's important to know that, that you have the right resources dedicated to taking care of the clientele that you serve. So I want to commend you for that.
1: Well, thanks. I, I appreciate that. You know, we've worked really, really hard to put together our team. Uh, we've got a team of really dedicated uh, staff and lawyers, and that's really, really important. Uh, we don't want to be the biggest. Right. We just want to be the best.
0: You want, you want to be the best, and what what really comes across is the care that you have in taking care of the clients, and especially in this this client niche that you have. So thank you for doing that. You've been watching Answers Account. I'm your host Charles Musgrove. Be sure to tune in for future shows with Dean LaBeouf. You'll like it. It'll be helpful, and it'll make you more aware of the legal situation that that you live in. Thank you very much. Have a great day. Have a blessed week. Peace.